Hey everyone, welcome to AI with Alex Live. I'm very excited to be joined today by Evan Oldridge, a senior manager from NVIDIA who is working on recommender systems and has been for quite some time. Welcome, Evan. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for uh, jumping on. It's been, uh, I've been looking forward to this all day. There's so many interesting things that uh, you're working on with recommender systems and um, there's a lot of uh, new innovations in that space, even though recommender systems have been around a long time uh, relative to some of those, you know, it's sort of like the original um, kind of at least widespread, well-known AI uh, real world use case or application in many ways. Uh, but before we dive into that, um, I noticed also you're a photographer, which I am as well, although not at all good at it, but like doing it. So if we have some time at the end, I'd love to talk to you a bit more about that. Um, and then just real quick, housekeeping, anyone joining today uh, to watch us either on LinkedIn or YouTube, the AI with Alex YouTube channel. Uh, we're monitoring the comments. So if you have any comments or questions, please feel free to leave those and we'll do our best to, uh, to answer as we go. So again, even thanks again for uh, jumping on the uh, interview today. Thank you. Awesome. So uh, before diving into you know some of these uh, achievements and uh, winning of some pre industry leading challenges in the Rexis space, um, I I know you've been in the recommender systems space in general for about twelve years, and uh, you I think you did a PhD in computer uh, or computational photography and computer vision, uh, also a master's in hardware development. So I'm curious, tell, tell me a little bit about, you know, sort of that background and then how did you wind up specifically in the recommender system space? Yeah, no, absolutely. It was, it was like many people I run into in the recommender system space, it was a little bit by accident. Um, you know, so I did, did my master's in hardware development and programmable logic and, and sort of was interested in that space, but graduated from a master's right during the dot-com bust. Um, and or the, like the, the, there was a significant downturn there. And, and so, you know, after a, a period of time doing a startup on my own and working as a professional photographer, I, I took the time to, uh, you know, to go back to school. And there was a professor there who was working on, you know, on the computer vision side of things and computational photography in particular. And it felt like a really good fit for, for what I'm doing. Um, awesome. And w in terms of hardware development, was there specific areas of interest to you or areas that you focused on the most? Yeah, so I was doing uh, FPGA architecture, which was mm. like, um, it's a particular sort of uh, style of sort of somewhere in between like a BLSI you know, custom integrated circuit and, uh, you know, and uh, um, a, a CPU or, or a GPU. You know, it's, it's a flexible piece of, of hardware. You can kind of change how the connections work, but the in intermediate hardware that's that's in, in each of those places is, you know, is, is fixed. And so it was it was very interesting. It's kind of been one of the the skill sets that I bring everywhere. Is is you know the work there was really like making changes at the silicon level, like literally changing you know individual gates and then looking at the impact of of, of that at the broader scale. So how how does a small change impact the, the the overall ecosystem? And I think that's sort of that's that's been a useful skill set to to kind of carry me through through my career. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, and it, it makes sense. NVIDIA is, it seems like a great fit in, in many ways yeah. then, because I mean, you got that combination of the AI, the hardware, everything. Um, and for those sort of listening today, joining us, 
uh, FPGAs, which even mentioned that's field programmable Gatorade, right? And it's yes, very similar exactly. to ASICs, I believe as well. And um, so these are very sort of tailored types of hardware um, to, you know, heavy computational type things that you might find in machine learning and AI. And um, that's awesome because obviously that's sort of uh, NVIDIA's bread and butter doing a lot of things in that hardware space. So super interesting. And then how did you get to, um, you know, again, the recommender systems? So, you know, obviously yeah. not, not like a direct correlation to computer vision or, or what have you. So curious there. Yeah, no, I was, so I, I, I was working, um, like I, I, uh, I did some teaching and, and, and was, you know, was considering a career in academia. And then, um, I, I was offered in a, a role at plenty of fish, uh, which is an online dating site. Um, and you know, the computer vision background and part of the, the, the task that they wanted to, to, to do there was kind of the detection of, of images that were, you know, um, maybe not appropriate for the the entire user base, um, and and so it was yeah it was a very interesting initial like hey this is a you know, a, a, a funny thing that we could uh, you know that, that we, we we could solve for the user user base and prevent you know like pre prevent people from seeing images that they shouldn't see, um, and you know and that was part of what I did there initially but really like there was you know, big challenges and in, 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 in the recommendation side of things in terms of like, how do you match, you know, users to users? Um, it's a very interesting kind of recommender system problem. It's unique in the sense that, that like every item or every person in the space is unique and, you know, you're trying to match to, you know, person to person. And if you do it well, the, then, then they both kind of go off the, the market as it were. Um, and so, yeah, that was that was a fascinating journey. And, and for about five years, I, I led the team there, and, and you know, started started as the first kind of researcher there, and then and then led the team, and we developed a number of different algorithms there, including some really kind of crazy, you know, pre-TensorFlow distributed deep learning style um, uh, Slurm-based systems where we would launch you know thousands of jobs to do hyperparameter search across you know, neural net space to, to create the more complex models that we were building there. Um, and then and then from there kind of um, took a little break and and, and started at uh, at realtor.com. And it's, a you know, it's again, it's this unique recommender system market in the sense that there's, you know, the, a house can only sell to one person. There's, you know, each house is unique. It's got a huge range of characteristics. And similar to online dating, people go through a journey in terms of that recommendation. Like it's not, you don't come to, you know, come to an online dating site or come to a a, um, a real estate listing site with an exact idea of what you're going to buy, right? Like, I'm not sure if you're a homeowner if you've gone through that journey, but but for for me and my wife, it was it was very different. You know, the 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 start, the things we were looking for, the things we were considering, the you know that aspect, and and sort of where we ended up in 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 the house we bought. It was it was you know a totally different kind of from that initial experience. I think you know, it, it, there's there's a lot to recommendation and 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 recommender systems have you know been a, a deep passion of mine and especially deep learning based recommender systems and and through Twitter kind of ended up stumbling upon this role at NVIDIA and uh, and joined two and a half three years ago as just myself working on this project but but we've scaled it up to a, a team of about 10 of us now working actively on the, the the merlin framework 
That's awesome. Um, yeah, you know, recommendation engines, you kind of touched on something that's so important. I, I deal, so I do a lot of consulting, advising, strategy work, um, and some AI training and uh, education stuff as well. And so a lot of times I'm, I'm speaking with, you know, business folks and decision makers and things. And a lot of times it's focusing on sort of the benefits of different applications of AI. Like why, why do you want to use them? What are the benefits? How do they help? And, you know, one of the classic examples that I often talk about, which is recommendation based is, it, you know, it was in the a McKinsey report, uh, not too many years ago, uh, but just basically where they said that like 35% of all of Amazon's revenue comes by way of the recommendation engines and 75% um, of everything watched on Netflix comes by way of their recommendation engines. And these are like staggering numbers in terms of not only like impact, but also ROI, however you want to look at it. Right. But then if you take the step deeper and you say, okay, but why, why are they so effective, especially in the Netflix case, this is a lot like you were saying as an analogy with houses, having so many features, it's so complex. There's so many out there. Everybody's different. You know, one of the big benefits of recommendation engines is like reducing search friction and making it quicker and easier to find the thing that you want to find as quickly as possible. That's the best match and sort of reducing analysis paralysis as well, you know, uh, and in the, in the, uh, in the uh, Amazon space, obviously it's more about like, you know, increasing average order size and adding more things easily to the cart and you know, all this sort of stuff. But, um, but that's, that's, that's really interesting. So you've got some really great real world experience in a couple of different industries there. And then, um, now you've been working with NVIDIA on Merlin. You kind of mentioned that. So uh, can you just give a quick, you know, intro to Merlin? What is Merlin? Yeah, absolutely. So Merlin is the the sort of NVIDIA's play in, in the recommender system space. And, and essentially, you know, what we're trying to solve with Merlin is a couple of core problems. So one, you know, recommender systems as a whole, like a lot of people, you know, understand recommender models. And I think that's a lot of what's talked about, but the actual system itself is much more complex. There's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of key elements to it that, you know, that go beyond just the training of a, of a deep learning based model. Um, and so, you know, helping developers, you know, come up with the next model, come up with the, the data processing, pipeline that, that that helps generate that model, helping make sure that that data processing pipeline translates into production and, and really thinking about the production aspects and what the engineers that are that are sort of doing the deployment side. Um, like we're, we're, we're trying to build tools that 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 really do go end to end that, that you can think about, you know, not just the the, the training and the, the, the how you process the data, but also how the serving happens, how the data gets collected, how it gets aggregated. Um, and, and it's a very complex space, probably one of the most complex AI problems, you know, in, in my mind, in the sense that, like, you're, you're not just training this, this incredibly complex model with a lot of moving parts, you know, but you're also having to deal with the feedback loop of like the current model that you're, you're using mm -hmm. is, is influencing the, the world that you're, you're monitoring and evaluating. And so, you know, if you don't do it correctly, there's, it's very easy to go off the rails in terms of like making recommendations that that sort of put you down this this little filter bubble of like okay your your recommendations now are like contained within this option and then the, the the next model is just learning like a slightly better version of that that sort of that contained option of recommendations and and so 
thinking about this and, and scaling things up, you know, really, really is a, a significant challenge. And then, of course, you know, when the NVIDIA side, making it all work efficiently on the GPU. Mm. And so, you know, so the Merlin team tries to, you know, make it easier to do, make it easier to deploy into production and, and then make it super efficient on the GPU. And it's it's unfortunate, but the, the out of the box experience for a lot of people trying out, you know, the, the frameworks for, for recommender systems on GPU, it's, the performance is pretty poor. And, and it's in part because if you look at back when, like when these frameworks were developed, it was really, you know, computer vision was the dominant ta mm -hmm. um, job or, or, or task that was being performed. And so data loading strategies and how the data gets into the GPU and all of these other aspects are really centered around that, that problem space. And so we've had to totally redesign the data loaders, totally redesign how things, you know, how things get into the GPU and keep the GPU fed and, and really look at like memory and IO and and because a lot of a lot of recommender systems are, are sort of based on these embeddings they're called which which represent the users or the items and it's essentially like you know in in NLP you have this concept of a word embedding which is just this sort of numerical representation for that word and that helps the model kind of contextualize what you know what the meaning of that word is um, and in in recommender systems there's a similar concept but it's for users or items and so you know, the, the data used to train that is much sparser in the sense that you know for words you have you know tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of examples of a word used in context training an nlp based model for a user you might have a handful of examples of that user interacting with a product and so it's incredibly sparse on both sides of the equation and so those embeddings representations are you know are are are, are kind of the, the critical part of how these models learn and and the embedding representations are you know, are, are essentially memory operations. Like you're just looking up on a memory. And and I mean, the good news is that, you know, that GPUs like the A100, you know, that we've gone from like, you know, uh, three or four years ago when I was really, you know, looking at this from the practitioner side and, and GPUs had, you know, like 11 gigs of memory if you were lucky. And nowadays the DJX or the A100s have 80 gigs and then you can kind of scale that even further with a DJX A100 and put eight of them together to get 640 and you know put multiple of those systems together. And, and, and we're really conscious of the interconnect. So the hardware's come just you know a really, really long way, massive improvements on the hardware side. And what we're trying to do is, is you know, on the software side, write software that kind of takes advantage of that, leverages these advancements and really kind of takes GPUs to the next level for recommender systems. Um, so it's a really exciting mandate and, and, you know, really exciting project and, you know, we're, we're not near there yet. Um, there's a lot of work to do. So if you're interested in that kind of work, you know, we're, we're hiring on the team, um, <laughs> reach out to me afterwards. Um, but, uh, but no, really it, it's, it's like in my, my, my goal or my, my mission with this is in, in, you know, three to five years, I, I fully expect that in the same way that you wouldn't do computer vision or NLP on a CPU, GPU is just the natural kind of like obvious choice, right? Um, I, I, I think recommender systems are moving in that direction finally, which is exciting to see because it's going to change the type of recommender systems you can build in the same way that GPUs revolutionize those fields as well. So much to talk about here. Uh, just everything you just said, I have lots of questions, um, but that is interesting. And you're right. And even in like a lot of these sort of abstracted, you know, obviously you could spin up GPU architectures and infrastructures on clouds, but then even some of these th tools and platforms that abstract 
the, the technical complexity of underlying clouds still are now allowing you to still leverage GPUs. Um, and so you are seeing it come to more of the forefront. One of the interesting things you talked about is sort of the, this end-to-end -end thing um, with Merlin. And, you know, I spoke to Sid Sharma actually on uh, AI with Alex Live a little while back around the time that Jarvis came out. It's sort of the same concept of this kind of end-to-end -end platform. And um, and that that's interesting because that, that it, it is so complex. There's so many elements, but also to then also... Uh, optimize for specific hardware and and really squeeze out you know all those performance metrics and and really take full advantage is interesting and and does the Merlin uh, even go so far as to deploy to like HTTPS RESTful endpoints and things like that uh, like model deployment and the whole the whole nine that end to end or because you talked yeah, about, so about one of our and stuff yeah no one of our core components is Triton Inference Server which is sort of uh, Nvidia's standard like deployment or, or, or uh, inference solution for, for deploying models into production. Um, and so, you know, we're not the only team that leverages that. It's, it's used by a, by a lot of other teams, but, but it, it has a gRPC endpoint that, that you can connect to and, and, and pull. So we're, you know, we're covering that side of things. We're, we're starting to look into like feature stores and candidate generation. And, you know, there's just, there's a lot of different stages to a recommender system pipeline. And, and we're really trying to, create a solution that that encompasses them all so that you know that at least from from a starting point you can pick up a, a like a a working solution that that may not be the exact solution you want but at least there's a spot you can see where okay here's where candidate generation is being done we can put our solution in in that spot here's where the the filtering is being done and we can put our solution for filtering in there and and you know merlin won't solve all of the problems and it's not going to integrate with everything but it, it provides points for integration and it integrates enough that you can kind of see what the bigger picture is of the pipeline um, and that's important like a lot of companies that are you know not as experienced and 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 not sort of don't have the engineering muscle to to make this happen um they don't necessarily even know what the all the components are of a full recommender system right it's some of these aspects are not necessarily talked about in you know outside of these production settings and and really you know if you look at the big companies doing this like you know, like facebook like baidu like alibaba like there's there's you know amazon there's a ton of big companies that are that are you know making these systems work really well they've got you know but they've got teams of hundreds of engineers mm -hmm. getting this like production smoothing this production deployment right? right and we're you know we're very cognizant of that and trying to make the tooling that much easier so that you know teams with five to ten engineers can make it work teams you know and, and then eventually teams with you know only a few engineers can make it work and it's it's you know it, it's an ambitious challenge and it's it's going to be an iterative one it's going to be one we're doing for a while um but we're committed to this it's you know it's it's a really awesome challenge and, and one that, that the team is very passionate about. Like I, you know, I bring my recommender system experience to the table and, and I'm sort of building for myself three to five years ago when I was trying to, you know, face these pain points in person. And, and a lot of the people on the team kind of share that they've, you know, they've, they've been building recommender systems in production for years and it's not easy. It's a huge pain. Mm -hmm. It's really challenging almost every company has their own custom tools that they're using a few of those tools get open sourced here and there but nobody's really pieced everything together in the way that you know that we'd like to see such that you know like you can 
and and I'm not talking about you know like providing a solution that people have to use the exact kind of components all the way along. It's really you know it's more about providing a framework in which people can slot their own solutions. And there's a there's sort of a, a um, the, the term we use in the team is omakase, like a, a chef's tasting menu style. Like these are these are the ones we recommend, but but feel free to you know to, to substitute. Very cool. Awesome. Well, we've been um, we've been talking for a while about recommendation systems, and maybe not everybody knows all the ins and outs. So I want to get into some of that a little bit more, especially what you talked about the challenges, because there are quite a few challenges. Um, you know, things like cold start problem and so on and so forth. But before we dive into that, um, I do want to uh, hear more about these challenges. So I know there was an ACM Rexis challenge um and some other you know sort of leading challenges that you guys have recently had some pretty significant success with yeah tell yeah. us a bit about that that's awesome congrats on that it's, no i'm i'm incredibly proud of the team and the work that they've done you know and 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 it's it's really we set out in this space you know a, a little bit as newcomers like we we had our own experiences at you know at different companies working in recommender systems but you, know, you you don't often like one of the one of the challenges within the recommender system space is you know lack of data sets and and lack of kind of a way to you know to show that you you understand what you're doing and you know how to you know you know how to build models and so for us these challenges were were perfect opportunities to really go through and 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 look and and learn and leverage some of those learnings right back into the product um, and this began, you know, three years ago when I first started. There was a handful of us who started working on the the Rexus challenge back then. And back then, we you know we placed sixth, but we took our solution for the challenge and sped it up by 25 times from CPU to GPU, and that was enough to get us a paper into the conference and, and get people start talking about this and and kick off this whole team and this whole project. Um, Last year, we won the ACM Rexis challenge. Um, it was the host was Twitter. It was uh, you know roughly two hundred thousand or sorry two hundred million um, tweets, um, and the task was to kind of predict the different types of interaction that, that are supported on Twitter, um, and you know and and the team was was a mix of Kaggle grandmasters. So we've got a, a team at NVIDIA that, that Jensen has named the KGmon, a la Pokemon. Um, <laughs> There's Kaggle grandmasters of NVIDIA and and they're amazing. It's it's just incredible to work with that team. And and you know, and, and we've we've paired together on a number of competitions now in the Rexus space. Um, and and you know, so the the Merlin team can bring some recommender system experience and, and that team brings you know competition experience and tabular data experience and and, and many of them also have recommender system experience as well. Well, um, and you know, and we get to work together to try and come up with these interesting solutions on the feature engineering side and on the modeling side, and and then figure out you know how do we accelerate this? How do we make it performant on the GPU and, and deploy to production? So last year we won the Rexus challenge, and then we went on to win the uh, Booking.com challenge, which was sort of a, a, a challenge to predict the next city. So you'd have sort of this sequence of, of, a, of a user's trip, and you're trying to predict, you know, what's the next city that that user is going to go to, um, and and that was won by a, by again a joint team, and then and then we we won the ACM Rexus challenge again this year, um, and also won the the SIGIR e-commerce challenge, which was a, a again a session-based recommendation challenge of you know, predicting, um, yeah, so predicting next item interactions. So you know, it's it's um, it's hopefully proving out that that you know that we we know what we're doing at, at Nvidia in terms of recommenders, and that's that's sort of the the main goal behind this is 
really to demonstrate our expertise and 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 to to take that sort of those learnings and those discoveries and the the, the magic that comes from the the Kaggle Grandmaster team and, and and the rest of the team and bake it into the product and uh, like as a concrete example of that, you know, last year at the ACM Rexis Challenge we had um, Jiba who's who's you know one of the the most famous Kaggle Grandmasters just a, a, a genius and and incredibly talented. Um, he he walked us through how this this sort of feature engineering technique called target encoding really works and and like you know for my team it was incredible for many of the Kaggle grandmasters they'd never heard of it this is the technique that he's you know he's been using for years to win competitions and and we took that technique and and you know and, and leveraged it to win the competition and then baked it right into our product and now in mb tabular which is sort of the 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 ELT, like the, the transformation part of, of the, the, the feature transforms getting data ready for a deep learning model or a machine learning model, you can leverage exactly the technique that he uses where, you know, we use proper smoothing, we use, you know, five-fold splits, or you can control the, the, the splits to get this technique, which is, you know, is a very hard technique to get right, but when you do it right, it's it's literally award-winning, right? It's It's this amazing, amazing technique, and we're able to bake that right into the product. And now everybody can use it in their in their recommender systems. And so, yeah, the 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 joint work we've done with that team has been amazing. Um, and and yeah, I'm really proud of the 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 three wins this year and then the win last year. It's it's you know it's a, an amazing accomplishment. Yay! Awesome. Well, <laughs> good job, Mel. Congrats. That's awesome. And and you you know it's an interesting thing that sometimes is underappreciated is that AI is very rapidly and often advancing in all aspects, whether it's algorithms, tools, uh, software, language stuff, uh, hardware stuff. I mean, it's just like, and it's by no means just this thing that sits there and it's ready to go. And you just, you're off and running with it. It's, uh, you know, you're pushing the envelope. That's the whole reason there's researchers out there and, uh, you know, it's, um, it's taking things to the next level, finding new, new ways, hitting barriers, and then, you know, trying to find new innovative uh, techniques. So that, that's awesome that you, along that path, you know, you're doing that. It, you're, you're, you're sort of like leveraging pioneering folks, like you mentioned, and then building upon them and all that. So that's really a great job. Congrats again on that. And actually this wasn't on my list of things I wanted to talk about, but I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit real quick. So, um, you, you made me think of something. So I advise a lot of companies. I sit on advisory boards and things like that. And one of them, there was a scenario that came up around recommendation engines. And I'm not going to talk specifically about their thing. I, but I thought of an analogy that's kind of similar. It's not the same, but you know, just so I'm not talking about their specific thing. But, um, but it, it turned out to be really challenging. And speaking of, you know, trying to find new and innovative ways to solve a problem. Um, before I dive into that, you know, you would, you would kind of mention content filtering and collaborative filtering earlier when you were talking about the features of the users or the, the item itself. Like if it's music, you know, features of the song, like the length of the song, the BPMs, uh, the style or genre and all these things, or in the content case, and I usually try and keep things relatively high level, uh, here on AI with Alex, but, um, you know, in the, or in the collaborative case, it's more about like trying to make recommendations based on similar users, less on similar, you know, items, as you mentioned. But in this case, here's a scenario. 
and again, I just thought of this. Uh, so hopefully it's a good, a good analogy, but let's say you're going to a, want to do a picnic with your friends, right? You're going to go to a park, you're going to bring a picnic basket and you want to have like a, a nice glass of wine, some cheese, some olives, a couple of crackers, maybe some, you know, nuts or something. Right. And you could build recommendation engines for all those items either using that like you like these kinds of nuts so therefore you like those kinds of nuts or or that person that's like you likes this kind of nut so therefore you should like that kind of nut maybe as well right on a on a item by item basis but now what if you want to recommend all those items and as an ensemble so that they match each other as optimally as possible so that not only is it the best fitting you know wine cheese nuts crackers for you but that exact combination is the best for you and it goes the best together within the combination. Um, yeah. Go ahead. No, no I'm yeah. I'm curious, like just what do you think of that? Cause that for me was a little, to be honest, like a little bit outside of my sort of realm of like the traditional sort of like, you know, content based, collaborative based hybrid stuff, whatever, you know, this is like, Oh, okay. This is complicated. Sure. Yeah, it, it sounds a little bit like a basket, like a yeah. you know, trying trying to, trying to trying to fill a basket. So there's you know there's there's ways to do that within session based recommendation. The other way of framing it, which might be a little simpler, um, is yep. you know is is thinking about it from a like users who bought this also bought this type perspective in the sense that like if you have this particular you know set of nuts in your basket and this particular wine in your basket, like you you probably want some some multiple combination of that, but like. The fact that this wine goes with this cheese and this wine goes with these nuts and this wine goes with these nuts like you you, you could try and try and do it with you know with, with that that sort of co-purchasing behavior that, that yeah. users have displayed in the past um you i mean it, it's it working off of implicit user data is always an interesting challenge and you know and, and coordinating amongst uh you know uh, uh, millions of users across these these sites and and like even for the the system to know that you are to understand that that like okay you've just bought a, a a bottle of wine and some cheese and so that means you're going on a picnic as opposed to like you want to do a fondue and it should be recommending bread and you know like there's there's a a lot of complexity that goes you know for the most part well beyond what recommenders are capable of today right Okay, I'm glad you said that because I thought of it the same way. It was sort of like, okay, these items tend to be bought together. So you're doing it more on statistical stuff or frequencies or just like, yeah, co-purchasing or, uh, you know, less on the same techniques that recommendation engines typically use just when it's individual items. Yeah, um, I just feeling like like session based recommendation and and you know and, and saying like, okay, you've got a session that includes like this item, this item, and this item. What are the next you know, three items. So you've got, you know, the, the, the wine, the cheese and the nuts. What's, what's the next thing that the user should buy is, is actually a fairly well-studied task. And it's a pretty interesting one. And that uses, you know, transformer style architectures. This mm. is one of the ways to solve that similar to NLP. It's, you can think of it in the same way as like, you know, you're predicting the next word in a sentence here, you're trying to predict the next item in the basket. Yep. Okay. Make, yeah, no, that's interesting. And actually you, you, said the perfect segue into the next thing I was going to ask you about, which is back to sort of more what, what I had planned to talk to you about is, um, you know, talking more about those different kinds of techniques. Cause you know, I know a lot of your focus is on, you know, deep learning based recommendation systems, 
but a lot of people may not realize that recommendation system, they're sort of like varying levels of complexity, right? Like yeah. you could, you, you could build a recommendation engine just based on unsupervised clustering type techniques that are relatively, you know, straightforward. And then you can get a little more complex and then you can do hybrid stuff. Then you can get in embeddings and, you know, the whole deep learning stuff. So maybe talk a bit about that. And, um, you know, how, let's say someone's new to, to this stuff. Like, what do you recommend? Talk about the different types of approaches if, if you don't mind, but also like, you know, how do you guide people on, do I go for the deep learning? Like, you know, yeah. ultra, <laughs> like, you know, right. The, the full on thing right off. The Absolutely. Do, do I work my way up? Do like, what's, what are the pros and cons of each of these techniques? No, that, that's a, a great question and perfect segue in the, in the, in, or, 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 or tie into like Merlin in, in the past, we've been focused predominantly on kind of like large scale deep learning based recommender systems. And we're starting to shift that focus because we are starting to see, you know, like the, and we've kind of known this all along, the, the majority of, of people building recommender systems are somewhere along that spectrum of like, you know, you're, you're building something really simple like a collaborative filtering or a tree-based model or whatever. And then at the other end of that spectrum, you know, you're, you're, you're like, hundreds of millions of users, hundreds of millions of items, and you need to be able to scale across multiple GPUs and, you know, and, and multiple nodes. And we've been sort of more focused on the upper end of that spectrum so far, but we're really starting to think about that sort of that mid and, and, and the level. And, and, and some of that comes just from like the number of customers we've talked to where that there's just this huge pain point of like, okay, now I'd like to get into deep learning based recommender systems. And we've even like potentially on the modeling side, data scientists have, have gone through and trained a model and the results look really good how do we get that into production mm -hmm. and it's like it's it's uh, um you know uh, uh there's a, an internal term at nvidia we we use the, the the bermuda triangle of uh of, of deployment right and it's it it many many deep learning models go to die there unfortunately <laughs> and, and so it's it's an area that we're you know acutely aware of and really trying to build into our product it's like things like you know, our, our ETL feature or ELT feature engineering transformation tool, NB Tabular, we've, we've designed it in such a way that the transformations that you're doing to the data at training time, that can be reused at inference time to, to sort of provide those same transformations to the data. And that may not sound like a, a big distinction until you start thinking about like, okay, it, it may be an entirely different person or a different team or a different like business unit that's that's deploying that model into production. And they may have very different constraints around like how latency and, and other aspects that they want to deploy. And so, you know, we've really been thinking about how do we make that as straightforward as possible in terms of the translation and really thinking beyond just tools for data scientists training the models, but think about, you know, tools that support the ML engineering aspect as well. And so, you know, in terms of like, how to use, you know, what, what the different model options are, like you can start simple with collaborative filtering and, and you know, and, and just do the user item interactions. And um, there's big disadvantages to those models, right? Like there's a reason why the, the, the like TikToks and the, or, or the, the, you know, the, the Amazons of the world or the, the Facebooks of the world are using deep learning based models is, is you know, when you have the data, they're they're massively outperforming these other systems, right? And and so providing a path to get users or to get customers who are interested in in getting to deep learning 
along the Merlin kind of ecosystem from simpler tree-based models. And, and to be clear, like we support, you know, tree-based models already within the Rapids ecosystem, which is, you know, the, the layer of, of technology that we're built on top of. Um, they have great, um, you know, support for GPU acceleration with an XGBoost. They support um, inference through Forest Inference Library. And we're we're leveraging that and kind of packaging that up now in in Merlin to to support tree-based models on the GPU and it's it's incredibly performant. Like if you look at, um, so the 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 Rexus challenge this year had a requirement of, uh, you know, inference is going to happen on a single node of a CPU, right? And that was that was sort of one of the design constraints, and they they sort of put it there as a like realistic constraint, which. I, I, you know, I took some umbrage at, and we we had some conversations with them behind the scenes about. But in the end, that was what they stuck with, and and it, it turned out to be fine. You know, our team still won the challenge, but it was it was a big constraint to get this this sort of system training and working and you know doing all the things we wanted within the time budget of they they sort of set up a for the hundred million tweets for the the Rexus challenge this year, or sorry, the billion tweets rather. Um, you had to you had to process. That data set on their on their single core machine within a, a 24 hour window, and the team like really pushed the limits of that to like 23 hours and 40 minutes for that single core. Um, and on a single A100, we were able to do that same processing using almost the same code. Like we made some changes, and and a lot of the libraries like MVTabular in this coming release is going to support CPU um, uh, processing as well. So you can just Flip a switch and go back and forth, um, but uh, but they were able to get it down to five and a half minutes. Oh right? wow! So this is like this is the revolution that's coming, and and you know some people are going to use that five and a half minutes to to save a lot of money because it is a lot. You know, like the GPUs are are more expensive, and A one hundred costs more than that single node, right? But but at the end of the day, the you know the 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 total cost we figured total cost reduction was roughly nine x. And then this, the speed up was, you know, um, I, I, or maybe, yeah, maybe total cost was five x, and the, the speed up was nine x or something like that. But it's, you know, it's, it's these massive improvements in in both speed and and cost, um, and you know, and 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 sort of paving the way for the future of of these systems. And some people are going to take that that sort of that same concept and say, okay, well, you know, I can build a bigger model, I can. You know, I can, you know, like the NLP community is now looking at massive models for for mm -hmm. for doing language modeling, um, and and you know pushing in that direction, and and we'll see if recommender systems go that route or or if sort of the current kind of model architectures stay the same. But at least there's there's opportunity now to begin to push and explore in that direction because you can, you know, you can train these models like ten times, sometimes up to fifty times faster using our techniques, and you can. You know, you can you can do inference ten times faster, and and you can do feature engineering and preprocessing ten times faster. So, you know, you can you can use that to be more efficient and get in that sort of that flow loop and that flow cycle that that Rapids is kind of targeting or or has has constant in the, in the Python data science ecosystem of like, you know, when you when you can be in that that moment of working and 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 not get pulled away from your computer because you've got a four hour job running, you know, if you can kind of get the results in that five minute window or, or, or shorter, then you can, you can iterate much more quickly and efficiently to get something done.
right? And and especially if the code you're working on at that small scale, you know, begins to scale up to you know multiple GPUs, so you can work on like a subset of the data on your laptop on the CPU, get something tweaked and working, and then spin up the cluster and run it on on you know on training for the entire data set, and then take that same code and port it over to you know to your inference solution, um, and and have it processing data in real time on the GPU. It's like it just changes the changes the equation, right? You, you can suddenly do so much more. Yeah, um, and, and for sure, I know like one of the goals uh, that you guys are working on is democratization in general of you know these types of techniques, AI in general, machine learning in general. But in this case, you know, with Merlin, it's specifically around recommender systems, but. Democratization is a lot more than just accessibility and ease and sort of out of boxiness, if you will. Yeah. And it, it's more, yeah, I mean, you're right. It's it, the time, the cost, the time value of money, like, you know, the, when you, you know, the cost of delay is another way to look at it. Like when do you realize the, the ROI on things you're spending money uh, on building, whether it's sort of R and D or whatever, but, um, there's huge gains for sure to be made in terms of those efficiency improvements for sure. So that's, that's pretty cool. Those are impressive numbers and um, congrats again on that. So in terms of, you know, the challenges, um, you know, I mentioned the cold start problem. I mean, if you're having this sort of democratized system or that's a goal, uh, obviously people are liable to run into some of the challenges associated with recommender systems in general. Maybe not so much the technical type like you're talking about from at the hardware computational, you know, processing level or whatever, but um, some other things that might be related to data, things related to cold start problem. Um, you know, just talk maybe a little bit about some of those challenges that people may come across, and you know, are are they things you, you guys are working on or you've worked on in the past, and what kinds of solutions have you found uh, for that sort of thing? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, in terms of you know cold start or, or specific solutions within the space, you know we're we're trying to be agnostic within the context of the training and the framework and what you can do, but we're really thinking, you know, and 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 we don't have a solution to this yet, but but it's something that's on our radar. Is you know, there's a big difference between solving cold start for you know the training time, and then there's solving cold start at inference time when you've got that new user and you've got to process the data and get them into your feature store, get them, you know, um, there's, there's a lot of great techniques for, for doing that, that I've encountered. Um, my favorite is, you know, is, is if you've got enough features about the user that you can use to represent, then you can take those features and try and predict what the user's vector representation or in, in embedding space is going to be and try and kind of fit them into their future embedded position at, at the start. Um, and that's a great trick you can use in that context. The other is, you know, it's like session-based recommenders um, are, are a great technique for this because they don't rely on any previous information necessarily. They you, they start with the sequence of items that the users interacted with. And so, you know, with a session-based recommender, you can start with that, you know, that, that first few items the user is working on. And there's there's not even necessarily a, a representation of the user per se. It's it's really just within the context of a session. And you can you can add and layer on that, you know, like history information for the user and, and other elements. Um, but session-based recommenders are a great technique for kind of pulling, you know, um, uh, or, or or taking advantage of, of new users. And then and then on the item side of things, you know, it's it's 
usually you've got a lot more kind of context and information about those items. And so you can use that, that technique I, I listed before to, to try and position it, you know, position the item within embedding space, come up with all the represent, representations that you need, and then get it into your feature store. And so you know, we're, we're, we're trying to provide kind of a, a general solution. Like I talked about the framework, you know, there's, there's a lot of options you can, you can pick and choose from. Um, and, you know, really trying to solve or think about the really complex problems of like, what, what does this look like at production time when you're, you know, when you're trying to figure out, you know, okay, I, I have this new user, I have this new item, how do I get them into the feature store? And there's gotta be some sort of processing that goes on. Um, and, and so, you know, we'll have examples of that within our, our upcoming releases in terms of workflows. Uh, but but really, we're trying to support the overall, you know, the the plethora of options within the ecosystem. And I think we're 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 starting out a little bit less opinionated. But I, I have a feeling, you know, that that omakase style I talked about, we're we're going to have an opinion at some point once we once we form that, you know, we'll 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 try and bake it right into you know, best practices within if there's if there's techniques. And and one of the things that we're doing, and and you know, another thing I'd love to highlight is. So at ACM Rexus, we're also going to be launching a, um, a new library for session-based recommendation. We did a lot of research within that context as well. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're with these libraries and with these technologies and, and this accelerated work on GPU, we're able to test out and evaluate a bunch of different work, um, you know, and, 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 you know, and, and a bunch of different techniques and, and try and provide guidance and best practices because the, the, one of the biggest challenges within the Rexus space is there's there's not really, you know, a clear like this is this is the thing to do right now. This is the way to <laughs> right. go. this is this is the point where you transition to deep learning. Once you have you know your your ten thousandth user, now is the time to make that transition to deep learning. Once you've got your you know your fifty thousandth item, um, yeah. you know, once you've got your millionth interaction, like there's no super clear like obvious guidelines and 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 that means we're going to need to to learn them as a community together so yeah a lot of a lot of times it comes down to what's the latest blog post you know yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. There, is, there is a lot of that and so we're just trying to be yeah. flexible and provide a framework that lets people kind of pick and choose and 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 provide some guidelines within that of you know what we found works well but i mean we're faced with some challenges in the sense that like there's not a lot of great public recommender system data sets right and so right. You, you, we've got these, you know, Twitter data sets from the challenge. We've got, you know, a, a number of different e-commerce data sets on Kaggle. We've got Criteo as a data set. Um, but really, there's not a ton of good recommender system data sets out there um, since the, yeah, like, it, 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 it's, it, it makes it very hard to do research in that space and to draw significant conclusions. And so a lot of our work is sort of designed to provide our customers with options and 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 then, you know, from those options, they can do the research to figure out, you know, which is going to work best in their in their particular data and, and for their particular type of interaction. Cool. Uh, we've got a few minutes left. I, my last like recommendation system based question specifically is around, you know, when are they good and when are they bad in general? And for people and for to be used and things, you know, obviously that's a question sometimes people have. And, you know, you kind of mentioned this go down a path, you could get in a bubble, all these sort of things. You know, obviously there are techniques to try and inter randomly introduce things outside of the recommendation, you know, the normal like 
to, to yeah. expand horizons and whatever. But I'm just curious, like, you know, what do you think about that question? When, when are, are they good to use? When could they be bad to use? That's, it's an incredibly complex question. Alex. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, um, I don't think anything is, is purely good or bad in this spectrum. It's, it's like, there are ways in which these systems can be used that, you know, that, that certainly generate negative feedback cycles and, and bubbles and, and, and there's great research going on to try and mitigate some of that in terms of propensity and in terms of reducing bias. Um, and, and, you know, if, if you go about this with a naive approach, it's very easy to build a, a system that's going to cause a lot of harm potentially, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the, the challenge you face when you're building a recommender system, and it kind of relates back into that feedback loop is, you know, the current system that you have is kind of the, the starting point for the data that you're using in the recommender. And if, so if you don't take in to, to account the propensity to like, the propensity of the recommendations to the likelihood that a given thing is being recommended, then the data that you're getting out of that system is sort of reinforcing those stereotypes, right? And you see that a lot in ML and AI if you, if you haven't baked it in. I've got a, a, you know, a, a cute, funny example in this context of when, like back when I worked at Plenty of Fish, there was sort of some initial rules-based systems that were baked into the, to the, the um, to the product that you know that that for example the the people with red hair like to date other people with red hair right and so you know we would show redheads to redheads in the system and that meant that you know with redheads being shown to redheads disproportionately they were clicking on each other disproportionately they were interacting disproportionately they were you know they were forming relationships disproportionately and what that meant that was was that you know without taking that into account any model trained on that data is going to pick up on on that relationship and begin to recommend, you know, more redheads to more redheads. And if you follow that cycle to its extreme, you end up in you know, in, in very dangerous places in other contexts, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you really do need to think about like what is the system that's currently in place, and how do you, you know, introduce enough novelty within that system, um, enough opportunity within that system for you know for reduction of bias, and 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 sort of think about that in the context. I mean. The, the perfect recommender, you know, would, would be amazing if you could, like, if I could log on to Amazon and it's telling me, you know, all the things that I need to buy that it's like figured out from, you know, from whatever context it's, it's the, the, the challenge is that the context is, you know, is the needs of a human being and that, that context for recommender systems is incredibly complex, right? Like even just in the context of, of like, a, a, you know, music to listen to. Right, like I, I listen to Spotify regularly when I work, and 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 when that's happening, I want music without words, you know. And 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 when I'm listening at six o'clock with my kids, it's a dance party to tire them out. And and you know, when I'm listening on the weekends for a bike ride, it's a totally different context. And picking up on those contexts is, you know, like there are ways for systems to do that, and that provides better recommendations. Um, but it's very hard to do, and especially in the, like in the general sense of recommendation, you know, like you think about like when you sit down to watch something on Netflix at night, right, or or some streaming service, right? That 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 moment when you sit down, like the the system doesn't have any idea that you're like you've had a long, tiring day and you're <laughs> right. stupid and funny. Exactly. You know, or or it doesn't know that you're like you've been thinking a lot about this show that you watched on there the last time, and you want to 
watch it again and like or 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 that there's this brand new show that you you know you've heard about on on you know on social media that your friends are telling you about and now you want to go check it out like it's it's impossible for the system to know that context and so it's i think like recommendation is an incredibly hard problem in that in that setting in that context and people you know don't really give recommender systems much credit there and 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 especially like you know the the brain is designed to do great jobs of pattern matching and try and think of like okay this is a good fit that's a good fit and and it, it you know it, it really shows up when you see something that's a poor fit right and so your brain is like you know if you if you pick something wrong out of a hundred like that one bad recommendation out of a hundred is is like super obvious to the person looking at it and it makes them like lose incredible amount of confidence in the recommender yeah. system so it's a very very hard thing to to you know to work out but no i appreciate your thoughts on that that was a great answer i agree with a lot of what you said and and you highlighted two really important things one being you know the need to like kind of understand what you're building and like what the potential implications and impacts and you know harms and everything are and and take those things into account and, and deal with them appropriately but also um you know, the, the true like limitations of what AI is, you know, like whether or not AI really understands things or really comprehends things or can put two and two together, has the same kind of sense of context or contextual clues that you talked about that humans don't even think about. It's so natural, but, but you're right. AI really struggles in, in those regards. So uh, super interesting. We've only got a few minutes left. I'm curious to hear a little more. So thank you for all your thoughts on, everything recommendation systems. That was super interesting. Um, I learned a lot. Hopefully everybody that was joining us today learned a lot as well, uh, quite in depth. And then, um, so you're a photographer, right? And artist. Yeah. yeah so what, yeah. Kind of, what kind of stuff do you do? Um, for, for the years that I was doing it professionally, I was doing kind of long exposure, abstract styles. Um, and then like sort of corporate, I did a few weddings. I did this and that. Nowadays, it's it's there's not as much opportunity to do it. Um, the, that that kind of art, and so you know, it's it's mostly just shots of my boys, realistically. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's it it was a passion of mine for for a number of years. It's it's something that you know, it's super hard to find time to do these days. Is, is the yeah, challenge. yeah, I do it more hobby style myself. I like photography is very complicated when you really get into the depths of it and trying to, and I'm certainly not, you know, a, a true professional photographer would look at my stuff and tell me I need to do a lot of work on it. <laughs> the, the secret to getting better. And, and this is something that it took me a while to learn as a professional photographer or like semi-pro is, you know, the, the, the real secret to good photography is to take 10,000 photos and show the world one. Right. <laughs> there you go. Yep. That's, that's it. Is, is you just, you, you got to practice, 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 get, you know, sample the world in, in this huge rate and then pick, you know, the best of the best of the best of the best. Yep. Awesome. Well, with that and those wise uh, words there, I will uh, conclude today. Thank you again, Evan Oldridge, for joining me today on AI with Alex Live. I really appreciate your time. It was a great chat. Uh, hope to chat with you again soon, and I hope Absolutely. you have a great rest of your afternoon. And thanks, everyone, for joining today. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Thanks, Alex. That was great. I really enjoyed it.